The Way Out Podcast, episode 185. Many of us have or will deal with this at some point in our recovery, especially the longer we're in long-term recovery, the chances are we're going to lose folks. We may experience something called survivor's guilt. We're going to walk through what it is, right? We're going to really break it down in terms of what it means from a recovery standpoint. And then we're going to give you guys a great path to be able to start to heal from this. There's some really concrete, tangible, specific things we can do in our lives that will help us heal from this survivor's guilt. Why did I make it? and others didn't. Why did I survive and others didn't? Individuals experience an immense amount of guilt and numbness following a life-threatening and traumatic event. People who experience survivor's guilt feel the way they do because they have come through that event while others had not. We often hear survivor's guilt among those in military who come back from the intensity and horror of battle. But the condition can apply to those who survive diseases such as cancer or other chronic illnesses and are mourning the loss of those peers who shared the same diagnosis. Survivor's guilt can definitely be felt among those who are in recovery from substance abuse, especially early in sobriety. We don't feel really good about ourselves, right? No. We haven't forgiven ourselves. In somebody we love, care for, know, that we thought well of, died and we are still here and it doesn't seem right it doesn't seem like we deserve to live that's about me not feeling good about me that's yeah. about me not feeling good about my life in in this traumatic event has awakened that and poured gasoline on that stark fact that I don't feel good about me. We get to that low place of self-esteem where, I mean, almost anyone that you could put in front of us, we're going to esteem them higher than we esteem ourselves. Right. Welcome Way Out faithful and first-timers to this week's installment of the Way Out podcast. We appreciate your ears. Our mission is simple, to bring you powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics so you can jumpstart or re-energize your recovery from alcoholism and addiction. The Way Out podcast does not speak on behalf of, nor are we affiliated with any 12-step organization. The Way Out podcast partners with All Recovery Rings and AllRecoveryRings.com, where you'll find stunning recovery rings made from your very own recovery coin. That's allrecoveryrings.com. The Way Out Podcast is a proud supporter of Transitions Daily. Would you like to join a free, anonymous online group that offers a daily topic email with popular recovery resources accompanied by a secret Facebook group for discussion? Go to dailyaaemails.com for more information about Transitions Daily. Don't forget to share dailyaaemails.com with friends, in meetings, and with sponsees in recovery. Make sure to check us out on the web at www.wayoutcast.com. There you can subscribe to ensure you get the latest episodes first on iTunes, iHeartRadio, 
Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. You can also follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Help us recover out loud by giving us a five-star rating and review on your favorite podcast app. Your voice matters, so share your thoughts on recovery with us by calling us at 218-382-1960 or leaving a message with us on the Anchor app, available for Android and Apple. Every week, we'll be asking for your thoughts on next week's topic. Someone, somewhere, needs to hear your share. Finally, a word of caution. This podcast may contain strong language and mature content. Listener discretion is advised. The Way Out Podcast is on right now. Along with co-host extraordinaire Jason, I'm Charlie, and this week we're addressing a topic that very likely affects many of us as we enter into recovery, and especially the longer we sustain our recovery. But before I introduce this week's topic, I'd like to humbly invite anyone who'd like to hear my recovery story to join a weekly online Zoom speaker meeting at 8 p.m. Central Time this Saturday, the 18th of April. A dear friend of mine, Buddy C, asked if I would share my recovery story, and I was told under no uncertain terms very early in recovery that when asked to be of service, we are obliged to do so, given we have the ability. Check the show notes for the details on how to attend, and I hope to see you all there. Now back to this week's topic. We're talking about experiencing survivor's guilt after someone close to us relapses or tragically dies as a result or consequence of their addiction and or alcoholism. Grief is a complex, difficult, and often messy process that can be complicated by the emotions associated with survivor's guilt. We may be plagued by questions like, why me? Questions that stem from an unhealed part of ourselves, desperately screaming to be mended. These emotions can often leave us feeling stuck and be a counterproductive force in our recovery journey. If you're one of the many who struggled with the agony of survivor's guilt, then this episode is for you. We'll find out what survivor's guilt is, how it befalls us, and what precisely we can do about it to heal in order to overcome this unpleasant and unwelcome emotional distress so that we can really be there for those who are still with us. So listen up. Jason. Hey, man. It occurs to me that today is a very special day for many people. Yeah. It is indeed Easter Sunday. Yes. They say Resurrection Day. So maybe you would like to take some time and share a little bit about what Easter means to you before we dive into today's topic, which is survivor's guilt and recovery. And we've got a lot to cover on it when we're done with this thing. If it's something that you have dealt with, are dealing with, or know people that are dealing with it, you'll have a much better understanding of what survivor's guilt in recovery is and how we can heal from it. But before we do any of that, Share a little bit about what Easter means to you. 
for me, um, you know, it's, it's cool. Cause it means a couple different things to me. Um, like a gift of my recovery is that I get to be an active participant in my youngest child's life today. And so for him, he's here right now. He's out watching YouTube in the living room, but you know, <laughs> I'm getting woke up at seven 30 in the morning and he wants to, he wants me to get up and he wants to look for his Easter stuff and mm -hmm. see if the Easter bunny came and I get to be a part of that today. And that was an awesome way to start the day. But then on top of that, I mean, you know, another gift of my recovery is my relationship with, you know, Christ. And I, I was like, I got baptized on Easter Sunday three years ago and that was amazing. But it's honestly, you know, it's like for anybody who's like practicing Christian, it's like, this is the day that, uh, you know, Jesus defeated death and, you know, he rose again so that we could have hope for a better life or a new life, you know, the chance to live two lives in one lifetime, you know, and that's, that's what it means to me. You know, it's this eternal hope that I get today. I used to never have any hope. <laughs> um, I didn't have hope of being an active participant in my son's life. I didn't have hope uh, in a possibility for a bright future. And now today I have those things, even when times are hard, you know, I always have hope. And this, this, the meaning of today, you know, that's a big reason why I know a lot of the things that I've accomplished in my recovery are outside of my power. It's not my go-to to, uh, deal with my feelings. It's not my go-to to reach out for help or support. It's not my go-to to help other people. <laughs> you know, these are all very significant changes in my personality and my behavior and my thoughts, beliefs, and attitudes. And that's all because of recovery and, and, and my relationship with God, you know, my higher power. So it's a really big deal to me. You know what I mean? I'm, I'm grateful. I'm grateful that I get to live this life. It is the grass is truly greener on this side, man. <laughs> really well said. And I think for me, if I were to add anything to that from my perspective, although I don't consider myself a practicing Christian, one of the things that I really embrace and identify with about the resurrection story is that principle of a new life that's possible for any of us. And that was given to me through a course of action that allowed me to begin to believe in a power greater than myself and a God of my understanding. And just that tiny little belief, that tiny little shred of faith-based action tapped into this power that I hadn't had before, that I hadn't had access before, that I didn't have in and of my own self. Right. And that, that small, small beginning turned into the makings for, for me, a completely new life that I was convinced was not possible. Right. Just like people were convinced it couldn't have been possible that Jesus rose from the dead. Right. And, and you may or may not be a practicing Christian and you may or may not believe it, believe in that. 
But but the message is undeniable. And the truth in that message is undeniable. And the truth in that message for me is a new life is possible if I'm willing to believe. You know what's beautiful about it too is that if you're, no matter what pathway of recovery you're following, um, the suggestions therein are really synonymous with biblical principles. So the beauty of this is you don't have to believe that Jesus rose from the dead. You don't have to believe in God, period. Uh, But if you're willing to follow the suggestions given to you to work a specific type of recovery program and you do that work, you're going to reap benefits. You're going to find a sense of spirituality and a sense of purpose. And, and you're going to experience those things and you can tack whatever name you want on it, man. You could call it the Easter bunny, whatever. (laughs) I had to throw that in there because it's Easter. (laughs) Yeah. But you know what I mean? Like you could name it anything you want. Um, the fact of the matter is, is because you're living a principled life um, and trying to behave and and uh, change yourself to be in a way that, you know, a way of living that works, uh, man, you're, you're set, you know, you're, you're doing good. You're doing all the right things. So more power to you. I would never judge people or um, whatever on what they think or believe because you know what, man? Before I came to Christ, I would have never guessed in a million years that I would. And if you would have been trying to get me to come to church or tell me that I need Jesus and and try to give me hope that I could have a relationship with him or whatever, I would have been like, how high are you? What have you got? Why aren't you sharing? So, <laughs> absolutely. Um, you know, for me, it's live and let live, man, and, and sure. just try to lift each other up and and love on people and, and let more importantly, probably even is, you know, let people love on me because if I'm not reaching out to people, then I'm cheating myself. Right. And then I'm not getting the help I need. And even if I do reach out, you know, people try to help you, you can still deny that help because, you know, pride gets in the way or whatever. That is a fact. Yeah. And I'm not trying to do that. You know what I mean? Another fact is that the topic of this episode was actually given to us by Ashley. She had posted in a group you and I belong to, Sober and Serious, about survivor's guilt and something that she struggled with. And you and I thought this would be the makings of a really great episode because I think many of us have or will deal with this at some point in our recovery, especially the longer we're in long-term recovery, the chances are we're going to lose folks that we know, that we care about, that we love. Yep. Mm -hmm. So we may experience something called survivor's guilt, often associated with soldiers that come back from war but very real in other instances as well. Cancer survivors uh, experience this when they are uh, often uh, often in a journey with other folks that have cancer and they survive and others don't. And also, obviously, yeah, I'm here sure, I'm sure it's infinite, infinite possibilities yeah, for of sure. application exactly. for this. 
hundred percent. There's a, there's a yeah. lot of ways that we could experience this. Yeah. And I think a lot of root causes too, you know, like there's multiple different reasons why you might be experiencing that. Uh, and we're going to walk through that, man. So we're going to walk through what it is, right? We're going to really break it down in terms of what it means from a recovery standpoint. And then we're going to give you guys a great path to be able to start to heal from this. There's a really concrete, tangible, specific things we can do in our lives that will help us heal from this survivor's guilt. So off the top, let's get a definition of what survivor's guilt is. Uh, according to the Google, survivor's hmm. guilt is a condition of persistent mental and emotional stress experienced by someone who has survived an incident in which others died. Yeah. Very simple, but very clear. I survived. He didn't. I survived. She didn't. And there's a question that plagues us in survivors with survivor's guilt. And that's why me, right? Right. Why did I make it? And others didn't. Why did I survive and others didn't? So let's dive into that a little bit, right? Uh, the phenomenon of survivor's guilt, uh, again, is a mental condition in which individuals experience an immense amount of guilt and numbness following a life-threatening and traumatic event. People who experience survivor's guilt feel the way they do because they have come through that event while others had not. We often hear survivor's guilt among those in military who come back from the intensity and horror of battle, but the condition can apply to those who survive diseases such as cancer or other chronic illnesses and are mourning the loss of those peers who shared the same diagnosis. Survivor's guilt can definitely be felt among those who are in recovery from substance abuse, especially early in sobriety. Your recovery may be going great and you are sharing similar experiences with others who are also starting their journey. In the event that someone relapses and experiences the consequences of that relapse, you may feel guilt. Even though it isn't your fault, they backslid into active substance use. Right. You may know that relapse often occurs in the addiction recovery process, but through the fragile filters of a mind that is still recovering from addiction, that fact can get twisted, distorted, and turned on its head. Right. It is kind of sad how we can literally, I always, I always try to remind myself of this and it, I'm actually kind of proud of myself because now it, it comes more naturally, but um, when situations like this occur um, and other people are going through it and I'll be listening to them and then I'll be like, you know, I, I feel you, but I'm like, isn't it just like an addict to that we can take something this tragic that has really nothing to do with us personally and we can make it all about us. <laughs> like, what did I do wrong? What could I have done? What should I have done better? You know, like, it's our fault. Dude, this has nothing to do with you, you know? But it's like, that's, it's me, 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 right? Like, yeah. And that's just the way it is. It's a self-centered, you know, disease. And 
Yeah, there is a hat, man. Yeah, I think two things about Survivor's Guilt and why we might why we might feel it. So now we know the what. Let's talk about the why. Why why would we be feeling Survivor's Guilt? Well, I can think of two primary reasons we would feel this. Number one, we don't feel really good about ourselves. Yep. Right? Bingo. We haven't forgiven ourselves. Right? We still think we're pieces of shit. Mm-hmm. Right? In somebody we love, care for, know that we thought well of, died, and we are still here. And it doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem like we deserve to live. So, so take the one person out of that equation, right? <laughs> that that died. That that is no longer with us. This is, in that instance, that's about me. That's about me not feeling good about me. That's about me not feeling good about my life. And and this traumatic event has awakened that and poured gasoline on that stark fact that I don't feel good about me. Absolutely, man. You know, it's it's funny because... Uh, we we get to that low place of self-esteem where, I mean, almost anyone that you could put in front of us, we're going to esteem them higher than we esteem ourselves. Right. Because um, we got that committee, committee in our mind, you know, telling us all that negative stuff about us. And, That's right. And, and we also, <laughs> we have, we do have hope, right, in, in early recovery. And so we, we tend to see, such great potential in the people around us and and we're connecting on a deeper level than we're used to connecting so that's even amplified you know and man yeah then they die and you're like why 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 you know I, if i could trade places with them i would right yep because you're just like you're still not you're you're not in a place of that a purpose-driven life going on where you where you like are reestablishing that self-esteem you know so it's like you know you're still feeling kind of lost you're still wondering if this is going to work am i going to be able to sustain it you know and all that and it's all these questions about your own journey and your own path so yeah it's just like an easy thought to have that you know i wish it was me i'd trade places with them in a heartbeat because they had this you know and it's like but you're still here man you know you're still here and you have a purpose you know what i mean right and so i think we'll walk through a uh, what we'll do is we'll walk through a lot of what we might do in order to address some of those feelings of inadequacy and those feelings of guilt and potential shame and there's some things specifically if you work the 12 steps that could be very, very helpful, but there's some things that outside that, that are really analogous or parallel to the 12 steps in terms of the work we can do in order to again, heal because it really, what that's doing is it's, it's reopening a wound that's there, right? We've got a wound. We don't feel good about ourselves. We don't feel good about who we are as people and we survived this thing and somebody else didn't and doesn't feel right. right. It feels wrong. It feels, it feels wrong. And we can, we can 
heal from that. The other thing I think that can provoke survivor's guilt, as you alluded to, Jason, earlier, is this idea that I'm responsible for you, this codependence piece mm-hmm. that gets kind of twisted up. And many times us recovering addicts and alcoholics are very, very, very susceptible to crossing into codependence or had it all along. And when we are either uh, supporting peers in recovery or we have sponsees potentially and they don't make it. Right. Then that can also be a deep source of guilt because we couldn't save them. We couldn't fix them. We couldn't heal them. And as you so astutely pointed out, it's not my job. It's not our job. Not my job to save you. Not my job to heal you. Not my job to fix you. The old saying in AA is you can carry the message but you cannot you carry, carry the, alcoholic. the alcoholic. Yes, that's awesome. Um, <clears throat> no, man, you're you're so right. And I know some people who have had sponsees die. Um, I remember very early, very early in my recovery. Actually, I think I wasn't even done yet. I think I went back out after, but <clears throat> I had hooked up with this girl and uh, my first service commitment, dude, the night that I got that service commitment, uh, we had both volunteered for it. Uh, it was a secretary position. So they kicked us out of the room. When they called us back in, the chair also stepped down so that there would be two service positions open. So we both got a service position and I got the chair. She got secretary and we ended up becoming good, fast friends and uh, we hooked up and then she got off parole and then she went out and she died mm. of an overdose not just a couple weeks later mm. and it was it happened so fast you know yeah she went from like being she's just a complete 180 all of a sudden you know posting pictures holding guns and shit and i was like what are you doing and then she's freaking talking shit to me because i was looking at time and i was like wow you know it's like hurtful and then all of a sudden she was dead. And I was like, wow. And yeah, I felt, I mean, I, I dealt with this at that time. You know what I mean? Cause I was like, I was trying to be like period point blank and like calling her on her shit in a blunt mm-hmm. fashion. And then, it, so I thought, well, maybe I pushed her over the edge. Or, yeah. Of course made it about me, you know, and we can't, we can't do that, man. No. I just think it's such a slippery slope. Absolutely. Especially for us. Cause we are already in a whirlwind of like emotions and mental health disorders. I mean, 90, I would say 90% at least of people that I've met uh, in recovery don't just deal with their addiction. It's, it's co-occurring disorders, you know, absolutely and stuff. So, and maybe even more than that, honestly. Um, but yeah, man, it's it's a slippery slope, especially if you're prone to deep depression or anything like that, because <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that gets you locked in your head, right? And then you start isolating, and then it's a, and that's never good, you know? I got to treat my head like a bad neighborhood. <laughs> no doubt, man. You know, your story reminds me, I haven't 
lost anybody this round, thankfully, and that's actually pretty surprising in f- five years of sobriety that I haven't lost anybody super close to me yet. Uh, but I know that that that's a very real uh, that's a that's a reality for me mm-hmm. at, at some point. But I re- I do recall two folks, two people that I lost at my first attempt in recovery in my early 20s. And it was extremely difficult for a variety of reasons. I wasn't even close to being able to even reconcile my own with my own addiction and alcoholism. Mm-hmm. At that point, I was still very much uh, trying to manage this thing and still have, you know, drugs and alcohol in my life right? Uh, without the consequences. And so I was still on that program for sure. Um, and, uh, and, uh, I lost them both to suicide, but I, wow. but I know, but I know deeply and I know intimately I lost them to this disease of addiction and they both also struggled with mental illness. And as you pointed out, it's so prevalent mm-hmm. in our community, so prevalent that I know, and I and I have and continue uh, to deal with my own mental health uh, right. stuff. Right, so I know uh, that that, and it was just really, really, really painful for me because they were both beautiful women that had uh, just everything it, from the outside looking at going for them and. Uh, took their own lives and right. i don't know that's just a hard thing man well the thing is too it's like you know a lot of people probably heard me bring up you know right off the top about how we can take something that has nothing to do with us and we make it somehow about us yeah um and that probably sounded like complete bullshit and didn't make sense to a lot of people out there listening but you know what it does and it i remember when i first had that kind of idea presented to me it was like it blew the brain out the back of my skull kind of truth bomb. And it was really hard to accept. Yeah. But uh, through, through more lived experience in recovery, it's um, it's illuminated itself to me and it ma- and it makes perfect sense now. And that's why I was saying I'm proud of myself because it took a lot and it took a long time for me to get to a place where I could even understand that, yeah. um, that, that that's going on or that's yeah. happening somewhere in there. Yeah. Um, and then when it comes to this shit with uh, like sponsors losing sponsees, I kind of, I guess, can understand where that would come from, that, that sense of responsibility for the individual being a sponsor. But that's, again, it's such a slippery slope because you can't, you can't assume that responsibility. It's too great. It's hard enough to have responsibility for ourselves. You know, this is this poses a world of challenges just trying to be responsible for yourself uh, for a change, you know, and become a productive member of society and like yeah. a good person for your family and whoever. And, it, you know, to take on somebody else's life like that as a, as a responsibility of its own. No, man, don't do it. You know, like absolutely. We gotta, yeah, we, we can carry the message. Yeah, we right, but we right? can't carry the alcoholic. The the, no. the reality too from a sponsor, and let's address that specifically. Sponsor to sponsee. The reality of a sponsor sponsee relationship. I as a sponsor am responsible for carrying that message to the best of my given ability, uh, with full knowledge and 
full admittance to my sponsee that I am not perfect, that I do not work a perfect program, that I do the best that I can on a given day and I, and I, and I fail and I screw up and yes. I'm practicing this program. I'm not perfecting this program. I'm not mastering wait, wait, this program. Wait, say that again. I am practicing this program. Yes. Not perfecting it. Not I perfecting it. it. That's gold, brother. That's solid gold right there. (laughs) To that end, I am going to tell you what has worked for me thus far. Okay. Right? That's it. That's how how I approach a sponsee-sponsor relationship is that I can tell you what has worked for me thus far. Right. You know what's awesome is you don't just do that with your sponsees. Like you do that with me. You do that with the listeners. You do that all the time, you know, and it's a natural it's just what happens, right? Like as we've continued on this journey and we start to find things that worked for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and I can't look at you and be like, dude, you know what you need to do? Because that <laughs> never fucking works. That's right. But if I can relate to what you're going through, I can share my experience with you and maybe a light bulb will go off in your head that's and right. you'll think that could work for you. Yeah, exactly. No, that's it. That's all that's we can it. do. That's we can't all we can fucking do. control a person. Yep. And if we're working out of a specific program text, then we can walk that person through the text, right? But that's it. That's it. Yep. Study, you know, teach them what you learn. But I cannot not use for you. I cannot not drink for you, right? Mm -hmm. I can't do that for you. Uh, Mm -hmm. So taking the responsibility for somebody else's program is... Mm -hmm as you well said, very unhealthy and not good for them and not good for me. I got another story. Yeah, bring it. And I don't know if I shared about this on the show or not before. If I did, it was a long time ago. There's only been, this is, this is 185. So there's, and you've been deep in it since, you know, pre 100, right? 97. So, yeah, right. So there you go. So, yeah. So there's, <laughs> I think I might have... I might have shared about it on um, an episode way long time ago. Yeah. But anyway, uh, when I <laughs> went to treatment in 2015, this was right after my arrest. Um, and I was freaking out, you know what I mean? And I, I went to treatment at New Beginnings and I really learned, I applied myself so hard and I, I met some great guys in there. And then this dude, uh, Nick, was like a really like an intellectual type, the kind of guy that you just sit and you can exchange ideas with and mm-hmm. like, and like push and pull and bend each other's brains around, you know, like, yeah, like act like a work, a mental workout talking to this guy and, and we would stretch each other, uh, each other's understanding. And it, he was just a cool dude. And we were going to go to the same, uh, secondary, you know, phase two, uh, IOP at unity hospital in Fridley, Minnesota outpatient program, IOP. So I got out of new beginnings and then I started at that program like the next day. And then he got, he got out of new beginnings the day after I did. And he start supposed to start that program the day after I started it. And he was put in my group too. And, uh, we, he was there the first day and he, he was sitting next to me and we we're like, yeah, yeah, what's up? And then he's talking to me 
and we were about to watch like a video and I'm like, dude, are you high? And he was like, try to kind of shrug his shoulders and try to look at me like, no. And I was like, your pupils are pin dots, bro. You know? Yeah. And for those of you that don't know, that's a, a visual um, giveaway for somebody that's on opiates. You know, heroin was his thing. Mm. And so yeah, I'm like, hey, I'm not judging. I'm just saying. And then he kind of shrugged his shoulders with this little wicked grin. And he's like, oh, what do you do? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, you're here. I'm glad you're here, man. And he was like, yeah. And then the next day, he didn't show up to group. And then I found out the following morning that he was found with a needle in his arm, uh, in his bed and that his parents searched everywhere and they didn't find no dope or any other stuff. Wow. So they were assuming he just got enough to do one or I don't know, maybe it was enough to do more than one. And he just thought, Oh, I can do it all. <laughs> I don't know. Wow. But, uh, anyway, like I, this hit me really hard, man. Yeah. Like at the time, uh, I was like, man, you know, and I knew like that could have been me, but at the same time, it was like, I don't know. I just had all these hopes for our friendship and like where that was yeah. going to go. And, and I knew that, uh, you know, I kind of confronted him about his using, but I was like, maybe I didn't make a big enough deal about it. Mm -hmm. Maybe I should have called him out in front of the group. Mm -hmm. Maybe this, maybe that. Told the counselor or whatever. Right. Yeah. And I, and I, I remember sitting in my room, dude, like for the next week about if I wasn't like a group or whatever, cause I didn't have a job and I would just like sit there in quiet and I would be like zoning out or I was writing all this like grim, like dark uh, journals and poetry entries. And I'd, I would stare at the phone lists, dude. At the time I had it on my wall, I had a bunch of different meetings, phone lists yeah. all tacked on my wall in this one spot next to this recliner in my bedroom and I had some names highlighted on these phone lists of people that I thought were cool or that I kind of got to know a little bit or that it had what I wanted. And so, I mean, I knew what I was supposed to do, but this was before I ever put that, you know, picking up the phone into practice. So the phone weighed a million pounds. There was no way I could pick it up. I did end up breaking. I did end up getting high again. Mm -hmm. I did end up uh, cheating for a couple weeks there and passed a couple piss tests and then got high like the night i'd be happy when the piss cup came out because that meant that i could get some dope tonight you know mm -hmm. and i'd be high for like two or three days and then i'd go back and be clean and i got away with that like a few times uh but then the guilt something yeah. the guilt ate me up and then i called my counselor and i told on myself and uh yeah, so he kicked me out of the program, and then I was using again for a good three months, I think, before uh, I almost committed suicide and ended up going back to treatment and stuff. But it was just like that, and it, and it was because of the I sunk into this deep depression of trying to make sense or frame what happened to Nick in some way that made sense to me. Mm. And and then somehow ultimately deciding that this shit don't make any sense. Um, I I can't do this. You know, I gave up hope on me or on the possibility of me being able to do this anymore because 
if he couldn't do it, right? Because I believed in him so much. How the fuck am I supposed to be able to do this? And and that is a not only a lesson in survivor's guilt, but a lesson to in pedestalizing people, right? Right. And and now now you know some f- almost well, it's actually over four years later now. I'm I'm like, you know what that that all makes sense and. And like, I think the more intelligent a person is, maybe sometimes the more difficult uh, recovery is. Because it can be. We, yeah. We don't have uh, uh, in, in the program that we work. Right. It's not a lack of knowledge. That's our problem. Right. It's not a lack of intellect. That's our problem. It's a lack of power. Right? Oh, yeah. So intellect and knowledge are useless against my alcoholism addiction. They're useless. In fact, huh. like you said, wow. they actually are a liability. Dude, that's so good. It's like, pow, you just dropped a bomb on them. Like <laughs> our intellect and knowledge is useless against this shit. I mean, it says it. It says it. Cunning, baffling, powerful, right. right? In the AA literature. Yep. And that's what most pathways or programs are kind of based around loosely yep. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. even ones that aren't 12 steps that's is right. like like you know it's a rendition of or like a you know just framed in a different order but it's like the same stuff it's always it's always the same stuff that we got to do to get right right like we got to own our shit we got to tell right. ourselves yep. we got to clean right. the slate and we got to move right. forward and let people that's right. us percent man 100 percent. so what do we do if we experience this survivor's guilt in our own recovery we're in recovery and we lose somebody uh, that's near and dear to us a friend uh, uh, potentially a family member a sponsor whatever that might be how do we um, address this and really we have to understand that if we encounter this uh, there's some important things to keep in mind First of all, feelings of guilt are just a part of the healing process no matter what in a traumatic life event. Right. And we can't necessarily frame it in the same way as surviving cam- combat. Addiction is a traumatic event. Okay? Yep. And if we've survived it and somebody else hasn't, and, and let's just say, too, in this context, we can think of it and we could experience survivor's guilt even if the loved one hasn't died, okay? that they're just still in this active addiction mm. and can't get out of it, right? And we've, yeah. see, we've, pull, we've seemed to be able to have turned the quarter into recovery and this person hasn't and is still just living uh, a life of hell and turmoil and pain and consequence, right? And also feel it from that perspective as well, right? And I've, um, yeah, I've been through that too so many times. So acknowledging that, you know, feeling guilt and bringing that out is really important. Second, just don't isolate, right? When we feel guilty, it's tempting to sit in our shit yep. and let them just eat us alive. Reach out to friends sponsors, folks that you are in, peers in recovery, and uh, avoid trying to feel like you need to work through this thing by yourself, right? Right. Or um, work, uh, 
move through those feelings of shame that you're experiencing it. Maybe you're even thinking I shouldn't be experiencing this. Any of those kinds of feelings isn't really honoring the fact that it's a valid emotion and it's a valid experience that you're having and people have it. So honor that feeling, honor your emotions and share them. Right. And then just understand that you're human and you feel what you feel. Don't compare yourself to others or at least try not to, or try to evaluate, evaluate in comparison to others. We, that, that trap that, I'm right. victim of of comparing my insides to your outsides. Yeah, exactly, too, because when you're doing that, you're never right, right? Like, you don't really know what they're experiencing or feeling anyway, but yet here you right. are and you're, yeah, like you're comparing your insides to their outsides, what right. you think or perceive that they're, how they're handling it. Like, you don't really know. Right, 100%. Yeah. So really the first step is to acknowledge the survivor's guilt, right? Acknowledge what you're feeling. These intense emotions are a result of that survivor's guilt. And then we could begin to cope with it, right? Right. Once we acknowledge that this is, number one, this is happening to me. Number two, it's okay that it's happening to me. Now, what do I do about it, right? And the first thing we can do when it comes to beginning to heal with this is, Change how you're talking to yourself. Yeah. Um, you might be thinking, I'm neglectful. I could have done more. I abandoned right. them. I don't deserve this sobriety. I yeah. do not deserve to be alive. These thoughts are maybe in our heads a lot. Change that negative self-talk into positive self-talk. And one of the most transformative ways that I've been able to do that for me is in therapy, I learned to talk to myself as if I would talk to my child. Yes. And that really transformed how I talk to myself because if my child was going through survivor's guilt, I would say it's okay. And I would tell them that it's normal to feel that way. And that you understand that it's not your fault. And you understand that you deserve this life and you deserve to be happy. So true, man. It's like we know what right. to say and how to deal right. with it. We do. Right. We, right. we Just like everything else. We, That's right. The answers were in you all along. You know, it's the only prison where the keys are on the inside. You know, all those little cliches are so true, man. Secondly, we can reframe our emotions, right? Recovery isn't a straight line. It's a path with winds and turns and curves, and it'll probably be that way for a really long, long time. It's messy. Yes, absolutely. If you allow the survivor's guilt to swallow you whole, you are risking the temptation of relapse or worse. Give yourself permission to celebrate your success by replacing negative emotions with positive affirmations. When knowing a loved one is still wrapped in addiction or has passed away because of it, instead of feeling ashamed of your sobriety, try feeling compassion for the other person if they're still with us or love for them if they've passed. Then maybe you can feel compassion for yourself. Right. A loving, 
kindness meditation is a wonderful practice for reframing your emotions. So maybe you introduce a five-minute meditation every morning where you are focusing on a self-affirming, self-kindness kind of practice. Yeah, and there's thousands of guided ones on YouTube that you can uh, look up. You know, you can pretty much type in any type of like topic, you know, that you want to think of and then put the word meditation after it and you'll find videos that um, have those. And that, that's a good way to help maybe teach you how to do it. If, if you've, if you can't bring yourself to really get into it, Uh, like, like me, those way I was when I first tried meditation, but, and then two for the affirmation thing, like that can feel really foreign. So a a good uh, tip that I was given early on and and I love it is you can go get um, you can get like decals or whatever at like craft stores and stuff. And they could, they got all these different ones that are different cool words like blessed, you know, abundance and, and I am loved and I, you know, all these things and you can put them up on your like mirrors around your house or, or on your fridge or in windows. Yep. Or, or like I know a dude that has them all over his workout equipment, you know, and, um, when you see it, then say it to yourself. You know what I mean? Like, let it be a reminder that, you know, you need to affirm yourself. And it might sound dumb, but this stuff, it just catches on over time. And it works. Yeah, you have to develop a habit, right? And that takes time, so. Another piece of your healing process could be supporting others in their grief, right? So addiction could be the cause of a lot of intense pain and suffering, for people that are struggling with it and their friends and their family. Um, so if it's somebody that's an active addiction and you've got these, these uh, intense survivor's guilt feelings, you can be supportive of uh, those who are uh, struggling with addiction. You can also be supportive of friends and family. If they passed, you can't be a part of that grieving process and part of that healing process for other people and if yeah by virtue of being with others and supporting others we are transported out of our own grief if only temporarily dude that's like the best suggestion because that's so that's dead on you know like if you get out there and you just try to be there for other people that are experiencing the same hard things that you're experiencing nine times out of 10, you're going to find that it almost makes it completely go away. That's right. And, and even that 10th time, you know, you're going to get a lot of relief. And as you do that, you might even find a new purpose, uh, a new passion there and, uh, you know, calling, so to speak. So absolutely. Follow, absolutely. follow your heart when it comes to those things, you know, each journey is their own, but yeah dovetailing on that, reaching out to others, talking to others so that you are not isolating. You may feel alone in this, but you're not. Right. You know, go to group meetings and, you know, there's a whole community of help out there filled with people who have had similar experiences to yours. Right. Don't be afraid to open up to a counselor support group or friend when you're struggling bottling up those emotions tied in with that survivor's guilt can keep you stagnant blocking your path to processing your feelings 
and preventing you from gaining insight and moving forward. Yeah. You know, in NA, they say NA stands for never alone. There never you go. alone. You're never alone unless you choose to be. And, it, and the connection's so important for us, right? We know yeah. that connection is the antidote to addiction. It is the opposite of addiction is connection. So keeping connected instead of staying isolated alone in these really intense feelings uh, is so important. But yet, what do we always want to do? We always want to shut down. That's right. We always want to close ourselves up. That's right. And sit in it and, and, uh, um, I that shit, dude. I do. You know, sometimes it's a, it's actually indulgent when I do it. I know when I do it, it's a, it's an indulgent. I'm indulging myself in my own shit. Yeah. I'll do it for a couple days, and and then it'll just bug me to the point because the entire time, every once in a while, something in my head is like tapping me on the shoulder, going, "Hey, dumbass, <laughs> you know you don't have you don't to have feel to do like this. this. Yeah, right. yeah, you don't have to. <laughs> yeah. You don't have to do this. You know that, right? That's yeah. the beauty of this, right. though. Once you start to, totally. you know, these things can kind of become more, uh, what do you call it, like second nature or whatever. Like, I mean, I can try. I could make. I, I don't know if I'd want to, but I could like purposely try to see if I could just sit in a good resentment for a long time or, <laughs> you know, and I, I don't think I'd be able to, I don't think I'd be able to let myself do it for very long. Thank God. <laughs> One of my favorites is it, from a recommendation perspective, Jason, this has got to be my favorite with a bullet is dive into a routine. Yeah. Because routines give us stability, a sense of normalcy, and a sense of uh, um, uh, trust that everything's going to continue to be okay. That there's things in my life that don't that that don't have to change, right? Even though this thing is sideways and got sideways on me, and I had no control over it at all. There's some things I do have control over. Yeah. Right? And that routine is a part of that. So a lot, uh, so, you know, allow yourself to feel the feelings, but don't get stuck in them. Keep up with routines like showing up at work and putting everything you can into your projects, attend your meetings and open up when you can volunteer, exercise, sleep well, eat well, all of those things in my daily, you know, meditation practice and my daily prayer practice Right. All of those things give me a really solid foundation. So when something really, really major happens, uh, a, a close friend of mine relapses or uh, 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 God forbid passes away, I have, I have that as a foundation yeah. to rely on. It could even be simple shit like, you know, making your bed, you've mentioned that a hundred times, make your bed in the morning or take a shower every day, make sure you at least cook one decent meal uh, each day or something, you know, like in this quarantine time that's going on now. I think that's been big for a lot of people is just, you know, taking a walk every day or something could be the dumbest little thing, but you know what? It's not dumb because like you said, the effects are more, uh, you know, widespread than that. It's like, helps make you feel like you're living a normal life you know yeah absolutely and last but not least have a healthy sense of responsibility you say this a lot 
You can't pour from an empty cup. Yeah. If you're racked with guilt, despair, and shame because you have survived when someone else didn't, then you are manifesting negativity into the world around you. Look deep within your heart and ask yourself why you feel responsible for this mm. other person's life. You care deeply, but if you are hung up on the guilt of this situation, you are not free to help the people that need you. Amen. I love it. And that really ties into my personal mantra, which is to be of maximum service to the people around me and the God of my understanding on a daily basis. And if I am wrapped up in guilt and remorse and shame and all of these really, really negative emotions that paralyze me, then I am no longer useful to the people who really need me, my kids, my family, my friends, other people in the recovery community, potentially sponsees and the people I serve in my volunteer work. So all of these things suffer if I am uh, paralyzed by these uh, negative emotions. Yeah, you're not present. You're not attentive. You're withdrawn. So you're kind of like zoned out and you're not paying attention, let alone watching like you should be watching for the opportunities to um, enjoy a moment or, or, you know, be there for somebody who, you know, or catch on that somebody needs, needs support or, you know, you're just kind of like in your own little fucking la la land, you know? Absolutely. And I want to really wrap this up with uh, our suggestions portion of the show in talking about the 12 steps and how they can help. Do you help us move through a lot of these things that I believe in my own self have contributed to survivor's guilt in that is specifically inventory steps four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, the action steps, right? I got to get through one, two and three in order to even be able to do any of these action steps. I won't be able to do those action steps. If I haven't done my one, two and three, got to do them. And if I don't have a higher power that I'm starting to connect with, then these action steps are going to be uh, uh, less effective or not effective at all. But dealing with that inventory process and dealing with that underlying guilt and shame of who I was as an individual Mm-hmm. And all of the th- and having an understanding of why I did what I did and what was motivating that behavior, why mm-hmm. I hurt people, why I didn't show up for people, yep. right? Why I feel like a giant piece of shit all <laughs> the time. Steps four and five help me understand why I constantly felt like a piece of shit. Yep. Okay? And then six and seven, eight and nine allowed me to unshit myself, unfuck myself, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? And yep. start to feel good about who I am as a person. And I was able to detach what I did from who I was and who I am. And those are two different things. And I, I am not what I did. Right. I am not my past. I am what I do today. And today, here's who I'm trying to be, mm-hmm. right? And that process is transformative, transformative, right? When I get through on the other side of that process, I start to have some healthy self-esteem because I am doing esteemable things. 
Yeah. And I'm building that that collection, that that base of esteemable things. Here's who I am as a person in long-term recovery. I am a father. I am a brother. I am a son. I am a volunteer. I am a peer in recovery, right? These are the things that I am in recovery. And those are worthy things. Okay. Mm -hmm. So, a lot Which better than a drunk drooling on himself, sitting in pissy pants. That's right, you know, hurting people in a messy house because right. your wife and kids left. Yeah, yeah. You know, hurting like, people, uh, right? Yeah, disappointing people, right? Dude, it's so true, and it, <laughs> that's through that process, man. It's like you're you're becoming aware of the reality of who you are and your life situations, the the reality versus your previous perceptions. And you're welcoming a higher power into your life to help alleviate, you know, to, to get, empower you and, and to take a lot of the burden off of you. And, and it works, you know, and as that happens, we become so much more self-aware after we can accept those hard truths about ourselves and yeah. our lives. And it might hurt in the moment, you know, doing the step work and stuff sometimes, but a lot of times it's just this, it's such a weight lifted off of our shoulders that we can walk and we can walk and we almost float, you know, at first, totally. <laughs> but that pink cloud will go away. And, <laughs> well, life will and, get lifey again, no doubt. Yeah, And you're going to, but you got this gift. Now you have this gift of self-awareness and you have yeah. a new, um, you have a new understanding of That's yourself right. and the world and your place in it. So yeah, you're so right, dude. It's like without that process, um, we can't, even recognize that this shit's happening and that it's bad or that it's unhealthy. You know, I was so unaware of what was driving these behavior patterns until I went through that inventory process. And then coming out of that process, having a really intimate understanding of the, uh, of the nature of my wrongs, not, not a description of them, but the nature of the meaning why I committed them and really fear was right at the center of all of it. Right. Oh yeah. Fear and ego was all about it. Right. Fear of losing something that I already had or not getting something that I wanted was invariably uh, at the center of my uh, transgressions toward others and hence why I didn't feel good about myself. So working through that understanding that and understanding that I, because I wasn't even aware of why I was doing it, there was no way I could have done anything about it. No. Yeah. Even though I tried at times to try to be a better person at work for a little while, maybe uh, I, because I didn't understand the root causes of it, there was, I had no chance. No, nope. had no chance. So I, I gave myself some grace around that and I didn't, excuse my behavior because that's what you know eight and nine were about was making amends for it and owning up to it um so i still needed to own the behavior but i didn't have to have shame around it and that was the big thing right yeah i mean all that stuff is so ingrained and you know it, it took a lifetime to develop those go to responses to things and we're kind of unprogramming all that and relearning new 
stuff. And it's, yeah, I mean, that's why people make mistakes in recovery. That's why we will. And, you know, every single one of us is going to, nobody's exempt from that. Nobody does this better than anybody else. Although you might think you're better, <laughs> you know, that's, that's whatever, but um, it's not the case. You know, we all have to grow and this is a process. And so like something like survivor's guilt is from such a deep level, you know, of your core that you're, yeah, like you said, we're not even going to know that it's happening. I mean, if you, if you're aware of it, if you can become aware of it while you're in it, then props to you and good job. And that's a, you know, that's something that most people can't do because it's just normal. We, what do you call it? Like a, it's like a reflexive thing. Yeah. Like subconscious driven, not, not conscious. I think importantly to understand as we put a bow on this segment is to know that survivor's guilt can serve a purpose and it might sound strange, but it's alerting you that there's something wrong, that there's a wound there in that there's something that needs to be addressed within you in order to be able to move through it and heal from it, right? Just like physical pain when I fall and experience physical pain, it's alerting me to a physical problem in my body. Survivor's guilt is a form of pain that's alerting me to an injury, a wound, uh, uh, that's even greater than the pain and sadness we feel in traditional guilt or in traditional... I would say um, uh, traditional uh, mourning and grief, right? So, so realize that it serves a, a very good purpose for us because if we honor that feeling and then do the work we need to do in order to be able to heal from it, we're going to be better off on the other side of it, right? Mm-hmm. So we can be grateful that the even though it's, it's painful and it's hard and it's not fun and it's, uh, it's, it, it can be extremely trying Mm. it's actually a good thing yeah you know it's is and it you got to step through the fear right because big feelings are scary and you might know that this is something you know like you said an alarm goes off you know there's something that needs to be addressed inside of you um but that feeling so big and scary it scares you and you don't want to face it. You got to step through that fear, man, and just do it. You know, talk 100%. about it, face it. And you, like you said, you'll come back out better on the other side. We're going to come out better on the other side after we listen to some feedback from the sober and serious community. Time now. Yeah. What the sober and serious community says about this week's topic. Every week, we share select responses to the weekly show topic, which is posted every Wednesday as the topic of the day on Sober and Serious on Facebook. Your experience, strength, and hope continue to amaze and inspire. So keep up the great work, you guys. All right. So the topic was how do you deal with survivor's guilt after losing someone you know from addiction or alcoholism? We use initials. To protect the innocent. That's a fact. CP says live. It's a good suggestion. P 
PL says it's hard. I think about good memories and pray a lot. It's good. Absolutely. BMR says only lost one so far. She and I met at a meeting early on. We were within a week of each other. She died at home before we got to 90 days. It shook me as I'd never lost anyone to this before. I could only take heart in knowing that God must have needed to take her in order to save her and relieve her from this sickness. It was suggested to me by a mentor to begin writing down the names and dates in the front cover of my big book. My mentor said there will be more names that I'll be writing down if I remain in the program. That's right, man. Always stepping over dead bodies in this program. No doubt about it. J.E. says, live in the moment. God has got me. I'll see my lost ones on the other side. So until then, I pray for them. It's a good attitude, man. And this is a really interesting story. So I'm going to share this. This is um, a CM shared this. I lost my father to a suicidal overdose that was planned by him. He was an alcoholic, had his license suspended because of countless DUI and DWI. He still drove anyways. One morning, he got into his truck to drive to the gas station to get a tall boy he had, and he had a seizure behind the wheel due to DTs. He managed to go across the median and hit a woman and he and the newborn baby head on. The baby died and the mother was in critical condition. So after that initial accident, and going to the hospital, then being arrested, he got paid. He paid his bond and got out. His friend was his lawyer. After reviewing my dad's record, and he basically told my dad they were going to throw the book at him. And it was very unlikely, it was very likely he would spend the rest of his life in prison. He couldn't handle that reality. So he called my aunt one day and met her in town. And during their conversation, he said, Have you ever thought about taking a bottle of pills and just being done with it? Later that night, he went out with a friend and drank a lot, took numerous narcotics and shot up heroin. His friend found him the next morning laying on the floor. There was a notebook on the floor, and I guess he started writing his suicide note, but couldn't finish it. Just said, dear anonymous, because I'm protecting this person's name. But his daughter, dear my daughter, I'm sorry. I took the news horribly, and my mom failed to tell me for years that it was planned. She didn't tell about the note or the conversation with my aunt. She led me to believe it was accidental. I found out years later, I was so angry for years, had horrible resentment issues with my mom, my aunt, and with my dad. But I started praying, it helped a lot spiritually, and it made me look at things from my dad's point of view. He felt lost and hopeless. He felt like he had no other option, and he wanted the pain to end. I also started exercising to calm down the rage and aggression I felt about the whole situation. This may sound silly, but sometimes I talk to him. I have to believe he can hear me somehow. The daily meditation helped me a lot as well going to meetings and talking about it. You know, he didn't think he deserved to live anymore. He probably couldn't bear the weight of it. 
Absolutely. You know, That's a powerful story. It is. And I'm, I'm really proud of you for, for facing that stuff and unpacking it. Um, and thank you for sharing it. But, you know, it's really, it's good to hear that you're finding some relief and some solid or uh, peace, you know, within yourself. Um, and, and it's helped repair your relationships with your family too. You know, like that's, you, you give a lot of people hope by sharing that. And I'm grateful for that, that you shared that with us. Thanks. Absolutely. One of the things that, um, she said there was, you know, she talks to her dad, but um, that she also started to really empathize with, you know, where he was at from a, um, from his perspective. And, you know, uh, so there was a, a, a beautiful story. Uh, ZS says, one of the harder things about recovery, we're going to watch people die. AS says, to be honest, I don't. My sponsor taught me that I have a deadly disease and that the longer I stay in recovery, the more I will meet friends who will relapse and not make it. DJ says, I realize that I'm not God. That idea that somehow, some way, that if I had done something different, something might still, someone might still be here is extremely egotistical, as you alluded to. Jason, right, right. I either concede step one and step two in this scenario or I keep trying to think I know better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man, absolutely. So uh, true, man. I can't it's say it's up, per- I, can't, I know, but I can't. You know, That's hard that. to understand totally. in the beginning. It's totally. like, oh, what? Dude, shut up. You know, 100%. but really, like, think about it. I like, he put that really eloquently. Thank you, man. Absolutely. JC says, accepting that it was not in my control. Forgiving them helped me feel forgiven. Asking God for help, 12 steps of AA and Al-Anon. And, you know, this is really a really great one, right? You may need to forgive that person. You may be mad at that person, right? You might be. And as the story that we read with the daughter and father and the father who um, um, essentially committed suicide, but uh, as a result of drugs and alcohol, that anger, right? Right. We may feel very, very angry and 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 resentful and bitter. Then, then you know, um, we may need to forgive that person. Yeah, for sure. Yep. We absolutely may need to forgive that person. All right, man. One other topic on what do you base? Because a lot of the times we, especially early on and throughout this episode, we've talked about. You know, our own self-esteem could be part of the problem, right? If we don't feel good about ourselves and so we lose somebody that we had high esteem for, then it feels wrong. It feels like, you know, it should have been the other way around because we don't deserve this thing, right? right. So on what do you base your own self-esteem and is it healthy, right? Uh, and I'm just going to read one from this because it, it really sums it all up uh, very, very well. And it's from a good friend of mine. I'm not going to say her name. Um, uh, SSJ. Validating myself through esteemable acts and letting my higher power be the source I look to rather than my career, relationship, status, physical appearance, etc. There will never be enough of those external things to fill the void. Those things will always fail me. It's unfair to expect relationships to build my, myself up constantly. As that's my job. Seeking validation through external things always 
fails. My worth has to come from the source. And that is an inside job, not outside. I have to sometimes put down the bat, as my sponsor calls it, and stop beating myself up and do things one day at a time to practice self-care and self-love, connecting to my higher power and be of maximum service to and about me. This is something I have to work on every day. I've beaten myself up with the bat for way too many years. I have to remind myself quite a bit to stop carrying around a measuring stick and let my higher power take care of the rest. Damn. My two favorite things I heard out of there that I guarantee I'm going to be using with my friends or around. <laughs> I mean, that was one so was SSJ, put down the you. bat. Yeah. Yes. Thank you. One was put down the bat. I love that. Yes. Um, and then the other one was stop carrying around a measuring stick. Absolutely. <laughs> Those 100%. are great. 100%. Those are solid gold. Thank 100%. You. <laughs> Spot freaking on. Yes. Right. That's just That's the reality stuff. of it. Yep. Spot on. We have some callers that are about to drop some serious spiritual truth on us. You ready? Let's hear it. All right. It's time once again to take some calls from the Way Out podcast listening audience. If you want to call the show, you can call 218-382-1960 and leave us a message on the current week's topic. Your calls make a real difference. So we here at the Way Out podcast extend a heartfelt thank you for your contribution. So let's bring on the calls. Here we go. Hi, this is Ashley calling from Burnsville, Minnesota. Hey, Ashley. Um, I'm a woman in long-term recovery, and I often deal with um, survivor's guilt. I actually just started noticing it recently. Um, I think because I'm still getting used to the person that I am, and I'm not used to this person, and I have always envisioned my life... um, to be the way that it was before drinking and not really having a purpose. Um, and I chose to surround myself with my fellow addicts and alcoholics who kind of have the same idea of what their life would look like. Um, and I chose to change who I was because I was unhappy with the life that I was living. And a lot of people either didn't make that choice, they didn't get a chance to make that choice, or they never thought it was a possibility for them to live a better life. Um, So often I look at my accomplishments and the life that I'm living and feel kind of like an imposter, you know, that, um, well, why do I deserve this? And some of those people that I was surrounding myself with don't although I know that they do deserve it. You know, why me? Um, And that's really hard to deal with, Um, and it's hard to wake up in the morning and look at myself in the mirror, and I still don't know who I am, even though it's a better person, even though I get a choice to decide who I am today, I still don't know who that person is. Um, So coming to terms with the fact that I have made this change, um... And just my heart goes out to people who haven't done that yet or some that never will. 
Um, so yeah, I think that I'm really happy that you guys put this up as a topic because I don't think it's something that we talk about enough. And anybody who's listening, you can make that choice and you can set high expectations for yourself and high standards for yourself. Um, but I just wanted to let everybody know that I'm struggling with that over here too. All right. Thanks. Bye. Ashley, that was really great. And Ashley is the one that gave us the idea for the topic of the show. So thank you for that too, Ashley. Yes, you were totally the inspiration girl. And I love what she said about how, you know, (laughs) you can look in the mirror and you don't even know exactly who this person is yet. You're still learning about that person in the mirror. And I can relate so strongly to that as many of us can, I'm sure. Um, If not all of us, uh, but it's just, it's, it's one of those things that needs to be said. You know, I think a lot of people don't have the courage to even say that out loud. So thank you for your transparency on that. Oh yeah. And if you're feeling like an imposter in recovery, keep doing the work that you, that we need to do in order to get better. And you will, I, I guarantee it feel as though you richly deserve it. Yep. We got another call coming up. Hi, everyone. Um, This is Alan S. from Buffalo, Minnesota. Survivor's guilt, well, as an alcoholic, um, we've been recovered through 12-step and by Smart Recovery. Um, My recovery journey started off, like many of us, in outpatient treatment. Um, I went to outpatient twice, and the first one um, didn't really take at all, and I declared myself uh, cured and left, didn't have really any good willingness. The second one, which was brought on by my DUI in 2015, um, led to some better some better things for me. <laughs> and anyway, um, my outpatient treatment was three hours of group three nights a week plus a one-on-one for one hour with a counselor, a uh, drug counselor. And uh, in my group, um, towards the middle of my medium group, uh, a gentleman joined named Jeremy. And Jeremy was a project manager from a, one of the premier technology medical companies here in the Twin Cities. And um, a lot of the things that Jeremy shared um, in the Drug of Choices Alcohol, a lot of the things that he shared um, really resonated with me. And um, in any event, um, when I stepped down from medium below, he said something to me um, when I stepped down that I'll never forget. He said something about that he felt that I had learned to use the power of words to make a difference in people's lives. And that always stuck with me. And I always felt very close to Jeremy um, in the group. And later on, um, we were friends on Facebook, and I went to reach out to him just to see how things were going a month later um, after I had started going to AA on a regular basis or 12-step. And um, in any event, he wasn't there. I thought maybe he unfriended me, and I went and looked and uh, found out that um, he had relapsed and got into a car accident and had died. And um, I, had a, I had some survivor's guilt about what happened. And um, in any event, I talked to my sponsor about it. And my sponsor said something that's always stayed with me. And he's like, you know, we have a deadly disease on um, being alcoholics. And the longer you stay in recovery, Alan, the more you're going to see this. And his suggestion to me was, 
you know, it's it's good to take inventory and stock of these things to grieve for a little bit and then move on. And I can tell you that was very valuable, uh, valuable to me as far as a suggestion. And subsequently, you know, I've I've gone and met other people that um, are no longer with with us either. Um, not too many, thankfully, but a few. Um, and um, you know, that was really helpful for me. Um, you know, and I've signed up to do twelve step calls. In any way, I went on a twelve step call and subsequently um, with a gentleman um, that was in the hospital. And I went with another member in recovery and, um, you know, told him my story. And, uh, you know, how it works, that Dick kept me sober, so that's what I needed out of it. And I found out he stayed sober for another four weeks and passed away. His, his kidneys and his liver were shot, which is probably why his family had asked for us to be there, and he wanted us there. But he did stay sober for four weeks for his teenage daughter, and that was important. So, um you know, I think it's just good not to not to get too caught up in survivor's guilt um, because it could be something that detracts from my sobriety anyway, and I, then I can't be of service to anybody else or myself. So that's what I got on it. Um, hope your listeners are doing well today and staying safe. I'm doing the same. So thanks for your service with the uh, Way Out podcast. I, uh, I'm a big fan. Sorry. Take care. And bless. Bye. Thanks, brother. Hey, man, that was really great. And that that the the story about the gentleman in the hospital and staying sober for four weeks, and you just never know, right? We we give what we can give, and you know the rest is up to you know the higher power, right? Like I I, I can only um I can only do my level best to carry that message. That's it. Right. Yeah, it's a good message. We got Peter. Hello, everybody. This is Peter calling. Um, and the topic is uh, survivor's guilt. And, uh, yeah, I mean, that is a heavy topic. Um, you know, I've, uh, I, I, early in my recovery, actually, I, I would say before I, I recovered about four years ago. I had four years yesterday. But for 15 years, I was in and out of recovery, in and out of the rooms of AA and NA. And I kept relapsing. And I had a lot of survivor of guilt then. The reason I had a lot of survivor guilt is I saw a lot of my friends die of this disease, and and I kept going out there and using. Um, and and you know I realized at some level that that God was keeping me around, yet He took some of my close friends, and uh, I have this responsibility now to honor them by living a different life, and and yet I I kept I kept using, but then. You know, four years ago, since I've really, uh, I did the steps for the first time four years ago, and, and I haven't drank or drugged since, I, uh, I haven't really had much survivor's guilt because, you know, um, I, I, I realize that I'm working my program today, and, and to the best of my ability, I'm, I'm working with others. Um, I'm sharing the stories of my friends that I've lost, and, um, and it's giving strength as well as my own experience, strength, and hope. So today I'm appreciating the gravity of my responsibility and, um, and I'm acting on it. And, and I am uh, I'm honoring that responsibility. I feel like by working this program, and, and I'm not perfect. It's progress, not perfection. But I think the best way to ameliorate survivor's guilt is to realize that uh, we have a responsibility 
uh, having lost those friends to this disease, to do everything we can to be in recovery. Um, I'm not responsible for my addiction, my alcoholism, but I sure as hell am responsible for my recovery. Thanks a lot, guys. Peace. Peter, super well said. And let me just take a moment to congratulate and recognize Peter for four years of continuous sobriety. Yeah. That's tremendous. You're awesome, dude. And that's so cool that you mentioned the responsibility piece. I kind of alluded to it earlier that that could be an outcome, right? Like if you do uh, reach out for support and and you end up getting the opportunity to support others that you might find like a purpose or a calling in that. Mm-hmm. I think that that is a choice, obviously, if we, if we want to perceive what's happening in that way. But in my experience and what I've seen in others, it's uh, very effective when you choose to perceive it that way, when you decide that, that there is a purpose to that pain. Um, it can turn something that is eating you alive into something that you're grateful for. So That's thanks for bringing that up. Thanks for bringing that up. Yep. Well, well said my friend and last, but certainly not least we got buddy. Hey guys, buddy. See sobriety date eleven ten oh eight. The longer I'm around, the more I see that I make it when other folks haven't. Um, I really don't have any survivor's guilt. Um, the reason being that uh, I didn't do anything to make this happen. It was not my power or my, I, I just really quite honestly, other than surrendering, the rest of it just happened for me. Now, I got to believe there's some providence involved in that. If I had a question, it wouldn't be guilt. It would be why the plan was for me and not for someone else. But if I didn't get me sober, I don't have to take the credit or the blame. So I kind of stay out of that. For some reason, uh, I guess because I don't look at sobriety as being something that I did, um, I I have to leave those questions up to someone greater than me because I do not have the uh, ability to understand or comprehend anything close to that. Uh, I don't know if that makes any sense at all, but uh, that's my take on uh, survivor's guilt or the lack thereof. Thanks, guys. Enjoy the podcast. Y'all have a great day. Appreciate your service. Bye. Buddy, that really, for me, encapsulates the humility around the concept of this is not of my doing. I, I am not responsible for their recovery or lack thereof. And for that matter, if I've really done a, a two and a three, I'm not responsible for, you know, this is, this is higher power driven. This is, this is God of my understanding driven first and foremost. So, uh, uh, well said, buddy. Dude, I got goosebumps or as my buddy, Christopher Lee Falk says, God bumps from that. Like that was awesome, man. Thanks buddy. Absolutely. What a great show, brother. Yeah, it was. And uh, in parting, I would just say this because I just thought of this and I think it was genius. The weight of the world is not on your shoulders, so stop acting like it is. (laughs) 100%. And everybody out there in Weight Out Podcast land, have a very, very happy Easter, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody. Love you. Thank you for being a part of The Way Out. We appreciate your ears. 
We're sharing powerful recovery stories and recovery power topics every week. So keep listening up. If you would like to reach out to the show, you can visit us on the web at wayoutcast.com. That's wayoutcast, all one word, dot com. There you can subscribe to the Way Out podcast on all of the major podcast aggregators, such as iTunes, CastBox, Stitcher, TuneIn, Podbean, Overcast, and more. Or simply drop your hosts a friendly email at share at wayoutcast.com. If you or someone you know would like to be a guest on the show, contact us at share at wayoutcast.com. See you next time. And remember, if you don't change, your sobriety date will.